and welcome to Overcoming Anxiety with Dawn Morgan. Today, I have a very special guest with me. Richard is a multi-award winning entrepreneur, chartered construction manager, a public speaker, a mentor, trainer and a coach who is renowned for both his results and his sense of humour. And today, he's going to tell us all about his anxiety journey. So hello, Richard. Welcome to the show. Good afternoon. Thank you for the kind invitation. Yeah, it's great to hear people's stories, um, especially those that have overcome anxiety in some way. So before, you know, I waffle on too much, let's uh, just hand over to you for you to tell us your story. Okay, so I'm a 45-year-old building contractor, live just north of London in the UK for any international listeners. Um, And I also coach and mentor people and speak publicly on a number of different subjects. Um, and train people in construction, project management, um, and other stuff around property. So I was born in Birmingham in back in the mid-70s, um, lived there, was quite happy as a child, um, some really, really good, good, solid memories of my time there. Um, and when I was eight years old, I came home one day um, and heard, overheard a conversation that I wasn't meant to. Um, and my mum and dad were really jubilant because my dad had got promoted. And he was quite, a, he was a very, very driven guy, very driven. That's where I get it from. Um, and it's kind of one of those kind of scenarios when something may happen that has massively unintended consequences. Yeah. So what was meant to be this amazing news for our family, well, the unintended consequence of that was I had to leave all my friends and, and also family behind and move to what seemed like the other end of the world. So we moved. Um, no one at school liked me because I talked really funny because I sort of came from sort of the middle of Birmingham and got plotted up in a little village in the middle of um, just well, a little t- little small town just outside Bristol um, where everybody did talk really funny. <laughs> and it was, hor- it was horrible. I hated it. I got really bullied, um, just didn't fit in. You know, at eight, everybody had kind of, you know, they'd been at school for like four years. They'd all made their kind of like their little cliques and, their little social groups and I just didn't really fit in um and it was also really weird because different parts of the country the education moves at different paces so in a lot of my lessons I was like three or four years ahead of what where they were learning at where in Bristol and it wasn't because I'm clever it was just because that's the education that I'd had in in a normal state school um in Birmingham and um that kind of also didn't really help because I knew the answers to a lot of questions, you know, and, you know, you get called the SWAT and all sorts of stuff. And the bullying was sort of more than verbal. It was physical. And, yeah, I just didn't really fit in. So at the age of 11, I got offered a job washing dishes in the local pub in the kitchen. which is a bit of a random job to get offered. <laughs> but, but I let it. And I was, I said to, I said to my mum and dad, look, I've been offered this job. What do I do? And they were like, look, you can, if you want to do it, you can do it, but your, your schoolwork can't suffer. And I was like, I don't really, I don't know what to expect. And my mum and dad were like, well, you wash dishes at home. So you, it's not, you, you know what you've got to do. But I didn't, I mean, I couldn't even tie an apron or anything. So, so I started <laughs> this job in the kitchen. And all the only advice they gave me was never be late. And always, if you don't know, ask and just work hard. So that's what I did. And I don't know whether it was kind of like sometimes in life you have these like moments of serendipity Mm -hmm. and the 
they'd, they'd gone through three people before me and none of them had lasted more than a month. And I just turned up, got on with it, didn't ask too many questions. Obviously, everyone's a lot older, so I wasn't cocky. I just was quite quiet and I just went about my work. And they really liked it because I just did what I was asked to do with no kind of like drama or any issues. Um, and the kind of ironic thing was I used my wages to placate the bullies. So I was working, <laughs> but I was using the money to kind of, not all of it, but a fair chunk of it. Um, but because I worked hard, when the guy that did the bottling up in, in the mornings left, um, I got offered that job as well. And then the landlord's son was like, look, you, you, you clearly work hard. And he'd got a building company and did landscaping and scaffolding and stuff as well. So I ended up working for him at the weekends. And I, I had like three jobs, but I absolutely loved it. It was brilliant. I'd got a big, I'd got a Glenfiddich like cardboard tube in my bedroom full to the top with pound coins. I'd got another one that I'd been given that was like half full. I was, I was quite enjoying it, but it wasn't the money. It was the fact that I was kind of like, I was treated well, I was respected. And I felt like I'd kind of like found my tribe a little bit. And yeah. So it's that sense of belonging, isn't it? You, absolutely. you fit in. Yeah. Yeah. And then at age, 11, at age 13, uh, my dad got promoted again and we had to move house again. Oh dear. And I didn't want to go. Like every weekend, my mum and dad would be like, right, we're going to look at houses. You've got to come and look at I'm like, I'm not going. I don't want to go. I do not want to move. So I would stay at the pub and work. And they were really good. The landlord and landlady were like probably late 50s, early 60s maybe. And they were like, look, you can come and stay. You're not staying up really late. You finish your shift. You can have a drink. And then that's it. You've got to go to bed. I was like, okay, anything, because I didn't want to move. Yeah. And I, I had to go, you know, you have to do what your parents tell you, don't you? Because it's a respect thing. And so we moved. Um, that went, that didn't go too well. I met a lad on my first day in school. Um, John How Bradley, old were you? How old 13. were you? 13. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was 13. So again, kind of like an influential age. Um didn't really fit in. We got we lived in a little village outside the town where I went to school and there was a massive animosity between people that lived in the village and people that lived in the town. And because we went to school in the town, me and my brother got beaten up quite a lot because of it. Mm -hmm. And we were always told, look, don't ever hit someone because if you hit someone and they fall over and they whack their head, you could be in a world of trouble. You're a big lad. You could really hurt someone. So we never fought back. And... You know, looking back now, I, as a parent, <laughs> I tell my children not to fight back, but I kind of wish maybe I had have done. <laughs> and that that was, you know, that was quite challenging. Um, I left school at 16 um, by mutual arrangement, <laughs> let's just say, <laughs> uh, without too many qualifications. But I knew that I wanted to go into building. I'd done bits of property maintenance. I'd had that job when I was 11 and I loved it. I just fitted in and... The thing that I worked out quite quickly was if you if you were like a reasonable person and you worked hard, people respected you and you got left alone. No, you didn't. Yeah, there was there was bullying. You know, there was a lot of bullying in construction. But if you turned up, did your job, worked hard, you got treated quite well. Mm -hmm. um, and then I worked on the tools for a number of years, and then I went into construction management because I thought. I can't be on the tools forever. It's a young man's game. You're going you're gonna to get to a point where actually your body will just give up, which is quite ironic because I'm sitting here covered in paint because I've actually been on the tools today, <laughs> 30 odd years later. Um, but that's a whole different story. 
And um, so I went into construction management, which was really good, really hard. Um, it cost me my first marriage because I worked just like so relentlessly because I've got a really good opportunity to prove myself that I just threw myself into my job. Um, and then, yeah, kind of got headhunted to go and work at another company, took the, tr- took the decision to take the job. Um, and it, it's taken me a long time to admit it, but I can now, can now admit that it was my ego that was flattered, I think. Being yeah. offered the chance to BMD three companies at 30 years old with 50 million pound profit and loss responsibility is quite a big, quite a big thing. Um, and it was one of those, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you might buy something from a store and it doesn't turn out to be quite the way you thought it's not as good or yeah, you buy a car and actually there's a few little niggles with it. Well, that's how this job was on the first day. There was more than a few little niggles. Um, but we ironed about over the, over a couple of years and then the recession happened and mm. the banks fell out of love with construction almost overnight. Um, and we had to shut one of the companies. There was some covenants across the company, um, which meant that effectively it bankrupted all of the businesses. Um, I had to sit and tell 300 staff in a room that they were going to be out of a job. Uh, that's, that's I, really, that's really hard. I've done that with about 70 staff and that was bad enough, but 300 is, is just, yeah, I, was, I think even, even one member of staff is bad enough, isn't it? Yeah. It's, you know, anybody that says that they've enjoyed that process is that some awful manager. It's a horrific thing to have to take away somebody's income Yeah, is an absolutely horrible thing to have to do. Um, but that was the situation. Um, it caused me to have a massive flat spin. Um, I was a mess for a couple of months. I just got, I'd put so much, I'd literally poured my life into sorting these companies out and it just wasn't enough. And I felt like a massive failure. Um, I had anxiety attacks. I'd have panic attacks if I went out. I just, yeah, I was just a complete and utter mess. I didn't see anyone. I didn't really socialize. I just cut myself off. You were sort of shut down. Was it, was it, what was causing that? Was it lack of loss of purpose, identity or? Yeah, massively. My whole identity. And, you know, it's only in the last sort of six or seven years that I've really sort of worked massively on my mindset and personal development. Yeah. And I've re- I've come to realise that so much of my identity was wrapped up in what I did as a job. Yes. And my it's, title and my role. Yeah, that's the same for so many people. And a lot of my clients are like that, you know, when something, when people get made redundant or, you know, there's a big change in their life, they, they flounder because their, their identity has gone. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's really interesting because I, I, I mean, I talk about all sorts of different stuff and I was talking, I did a podcast interview with a lady or I've done three with, with three different ladies about menopause and different types and different mm-hmm. reasons and stuff. And I was talking to one guest after we'd finished recording um, and she'd got, she'd had children and we were talking about like the impact of different events in their life. And she said, well, when I had my children, I felt like I lost my identity for so three years mm-hmm. and I could completely get where she was because it yeah. was like her whole identity had been her job. She had a really high flying successful job and she felt like she'd lost it. And to a degree, that's how I felt like I yeah. put absolutely everything into a job and unfortunately it hadn't worked out. And, you know, it was only sitting in a mentoring mastermind group in Ireland about eight years later that I actually got a bit of a reality check and was like, hold on a minute, this isn't actually, this wasn't your fault. It's not a situation you caused. Um, but yeah, it was, it was massively anxiety inducing. Certainly it was not yeah. a nice situation to be in. It's a very common, common thing. Uh, 
with big life changes. So whether it's, you know, when you have children or when you lose a job or when you get divorced or, mm. um, or even when the children leave home, you know, yep. the, be, suddenly becoming an empty nester and you're sort of saying, well, you know, what now? It's that whole sort of, well, everything's changed. And where do I get That's exactly it, isn't it? It's massive change. And yeah. it doesn't necessarily matter what the label is attached to it. It's changed. And yeah. That, that's the bit that's hard. So, so yeah, that was, um, that was quite tough. Um, and then I got, where did I get to? So, and then, so I got, I've got, I went back on the tools for a little while because I just felt, you know what? It's the one thing that's never let me down. Um, and I pocket called someone completely randomly by mistake, and it was an old boss. Um, and he phoned me back later that day and was like, Look, what are you up to? And I told him, he was like, You're wasting your brain. Come and work for me. So I went and worked for him doing some commercial consultancy and forensic delay analysis and due diligence on businesses people were buying and stuff, which was I really enjoyed doing. Um, and I was in the office one day and my phone rang and it was a, a strange number. I, but I vaguely sort of thought, I recognise that number, but I didn't know why because it didn't wasn't attached to a name. And it turned out it was somebody that I used to go to school with. And um, he said to me, John Bradley's passed away. I was like, what? What do you mean? He said, yeah, he's, he's committed suicide. And I'd only seen him probably six weeks before. Oh, wow. And who, who was this? So this was the first lad that I spoke to. When I moved to school at 13, he was the first lad I spoke to at my new school on oh, the first okay. day I was there. Mm-hmm. And um, that made me really think about actually kind of how much, what sort of life do I want to live? Yeah. Do I want to be just like 150 miles an hour, all just work? You know, how many times do I meet someone and say, hi, how are you? And then I'm not actually listening to the answer. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's do you do do we actually sort of care enough about other people and think enough about actually what where other people are at and meet them where they're at, not where we think they should be. So, yeah, yeah that, that was, it didn't necessarily, I don't think there was necessarily kind of any sort of anxiety attached to it, but it definitely made me think a lot deeper than perhaps I've thought before about, you know, about certain sort of life events and, and where I was at and where I wanted to be and the kind of person I wanted to be as well. And yeah, it's, you know, it's, I still speak to his friends. I still speak to his family, but it's just, yeah, it's just one of those things. It's a real cry and shame that, that it happened, but. And a lot of us don't change. A lot of us just sort of react to everything that sort of comes our way through life rather than sitting down and saying, okay, well, what do I want? What, you know, who do I want to be? What do I, what's the life do I want? And, and very few of us actually plan. Um, yeah, we don't. And think about that. So it is, it is quite interesting when you get to that point in your life or, or that moment in your life where you suddenly stand, stand back and sort of take stock and say, well, is this, is this it? Is, is this what my life has become? And, and then when we realize that we can do something about it and we can change something, it's, it's um, quite releasing, I guess. Yeah, I think it's quite liberating. It's, hmm. I mean, that's one of the reasons that I'm in the middle of writing loads of training material at the moment because my why has always been about helping other people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I've always sort of thought that that was either delivering their projects or fixing their property or something around that. But I think actually my why is about actually leveraging the knowledge that I've got and the wisdom that I've got from all the years I've had in construction and project management to sort of to make an impact on other people that want to do that but don't know how to. Yes. 
And yeah. that's why I'm sort of moving into sort of the training and coaching and mentoring of other people because, you know, that's where my soul food, if, if I didn't need to pay, pay bills, the 20% of my time that I spent mentoring young people at various different charities would be 95% of my time because I absolutely love it. It's yeah. so rewarding to see, to sit down with a group of young people at one of the charities in South London that I do some stuff for on day one, that they've all got their hoods up, half of them have got AirPods in, they won't engage, they won't even talk to each other. And 12 weeks later, when they get to graduation, they're, they're back slapping each other, they're hugging each other, they're, they're showing emotion, there's massive vulnerability being demonstrated. You know, it's such a rewarding experience. To, and to, to just be a small part of facilitating some of that change yeah. is absolutely, you-, you know, I just love it. It gives you goosebumps, doesn't it? It gives you this amazing feeling. It's, yeah, it is incredible when you know that you've done something to positively impact somebody's life. Yeah, without a doubt it does. And, you know, the fact that a lot of my young people that haven't always, you know, some of them have, but they haven't always got positive role models in their life. I mean, there's somebody that I mentor in one-to-one at the moment for a different um, organisation, and he's got no positive role models in his life whatsoever and hasn't had for years. You know, and like, I mean, don't be wrong, I still have to hound him and send him about 20 messages to get him to reply, but mm-hmm. it's, that, that's, that is what it is. And But doing that sort of work has really opened my eyes to the challenges of young people in the modern world because people think that the reason a lot of young people disengage is because of peer pressure from their friends and school associates and stuff, and that isn't always the case. I was talking yeah. to someone only probably probably six weeks ago now and his biggest challenge is not that his friends don't think he should be getting an apprenticeship. It's that his dad and his grandfather have never had a job. Yeah. So they're like, well, why are you waking the whole house up, setting the alarm for six o'clock in the morning to go and do this thing that you're only getting 150 quid a week? Why bother? It's a waste of time. But he's yeah. so fiercely determined that he wants to be a bricklayer that he's doing it. He's getting like a tube, two buses and a tube to get to, to get to the placement that he's got. And you just think, you know, it isn't just society pressure from their peer group. It's It can be from actually from their clothes. The very people you would think would be wanting to support these young people. Yeah, but they don't, they've never had the support themselves. So they, they, no, they don't haven't. know what they don't know. And and I see that I've, I've been a school governor in, in various schools. I mean, not now because I'm in Spain, but when I was in the UK and, and you know, there's this expectation that, that, that kids that come from disadvantaged backgrounds are not going to achieve anything. And you say, well, well, hang on a second. Why, why not? Why, why is this sort of this low expectation? You know, children are children. You just need to give them the right environment. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's just, I, I worked for 10 years or more with the army cadets. So, you know, we had sort of 12 year olds come in with a real chip on their shoulder. Yeah. I can imagine. And, you know, if we could, get them cooperating or, or, or understanding choices and values and things by age 14, we knew we'd, we'd cracked it. Yeah. If we hadn't got them by age 14, that it was a much harder struggle. It's not that we didn't manage it, but you know, yeah. age 14 seemed to be that tipping point, you know, and whether that was hormones <laughs> or something coming in or at, met, yeah, massive I attitude. Yeah, there's a whole host of different things, isn't there? a transition there, isn't it? But, yeah. you know, we used to kick them out the other, other side at 18 as really sort of responsible, confident humans, and it was great yeah. to see that. 
um, you know, giving them loads of challenges along the way. So they were ca- they were able to sort of solve problems and and deal with what life was what was available to them and choose, you know. Which that's was, the key. Yeah. That's the key thing is giving them the skill to be able to work it out for themselves, not just yeah. giving them the answers because that's just futile. It doesn't, you know, it might fix something for five minutes, but long term it doesn't solve anything really. Yeah, no, it's a it's a confidence to realize that you're resilient and you you can do stuff and that's the same for adults or children or teenagers or anyone it's especially when you have these life-changing moments you know like you said when you lost the business and you you have that okay well what now where do i go or how do i make a decision here or um if you've got that understanding that actually it's fine i i i'll be okay anyway i'll make a decision if it's the wrong one fine i'll change it um, but let's just do something rather than feel that constant overwhelm of I'm not really sure what to do. Bounce back ability. I got told it was it's what it was. Yeah, yeah, resilience. It's it's that's yeah, it's yeah. Bounce back ability. Pick yourself up, it's dust yourself off, and tomorrow's another day, and you know it'll all look completely different. Today's news will be tomorrow's fish paper, and yeah, the world will be different. You'll do something that will yeah. that will work. So. It's it is hard, I must admit, and it's one of the things that me and my wife talk about quite a lot because we're business, we're in business together. We're both everything we do, we do jointly. And she's like, "Why do you? How do you know? How? Where does your faith come from? That it's going to work?" I'm like, "Well, because it's got to work. We are going to make it work. It will work." And yeah, that's that's just how it is. It's just it's a mindset thing, I think. Yeah, because if you expect something to fail, then it will because your your effort level will be in alignment with your expectations. So if you have the expectation that it's going to be okay and, you know, it might take a while, but we'll just keep working at it until it works, then you're more likely to, to succeed because your, your effort level will respond to that. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, to a degree, I think you reap what you sow. You certainly, I mean, my family's got two sides to it. We've got one side that's um, certainly um, doing better than the other. And, um, it's quite ironic because whenever I see people from that side of the family, they're like, you're so lucky you are. Do you know what you like? You've got everything. You're so lum like, okay. But there's only one set of tail lights going out of the village at four o'clock in the morning some days. Yes. You make your own luck. You know, there's no one's bringing it and giving it you. You know, every contract we've ever had, I've had to go and win. I've had to price. I've had to win it. I've had to deliver it. And, you know, you don't, those people don't, just don't turn up and give you those jobs. You have to go out and find them. You have to make your own opportunities. Yeah, absolutely. And I I think, you know, when somebody is suffering with anxiety, that whole, the idea of just doing something different or stepping outside of the, the anxiety room where they are, because there's a a familiarity to sort of being stuck in that anxiety and, and wanting to step outside of that, that, you know, that takes some real effort sometimes. And, but having a bit of support, having someone at least to support you through that journey is um you know invaluable yeah i think it's about two things i think one it's about having the person to support you but it's also about examining the kind of the relationships that you've got with other people and are those people actually serving you yeah I, I mean my wife suffers with anxiety and she had a nervous breakdown as a result of like the way the police treated her when she was a police officer but it's and like we've had so many conversations about different people in her life that you know some are really positive and others just do not just do not serve her mental health and her well-being at all. Right. Some of the stuff that they, 
they come out with. It's just like shocking, really. And you think, you know, it's 2022. But there's, and there is, there is also a massive generational bias. I mean, I've, one of my coaches, mindset coach, he, um, I've, I love the guy to bits and he will, I would imagine he'll listen to this. So he will hear this and he <laughs> won't mind me saying this, but I did a post, I think it was about three years ago. I did a video, um, that, like a vlog that I put on social media, um, even on, and on LinkedIn as well. And, uh, basically saying I was going to see a counselor because my head was a shed. I couldn't work out what I was doing. Just really felt like I needed to go and see someone. Yeah. And, um, I, I spoke to my, my son, um, he was 16, he lives, he was 16 at the time, lives with my ex-wife. And he said, look, if you do that and are prepared to share that, that could help a lot of people. Um, but if you only help one, it's worth doing. My own parents were like, what are you doing? You're mental. Don't put that on social media. Yeah. Clients won't want to work with you. And this coach said to me, don't put that out there. He said, seriously, I'm telling you, do not post that video. And I was like, I know, I knew deep down in my, almost in my bone marrow that I was doing it. And I knew that it was the right thing to do. And he rang me the next day. And he was like, I've seen you've put that video out there. He said, and I've seen the comments. And I'm sorry, I've got it wrong. I've yeah. got a real big age bias about talking about mental health and the fact that you did it personally. But I'm also big enough to admit that actually I called it wrong. And I thought, you know what? I didn't, I mean, and I've got loads of different coaches I work with on different stuff. And one of the challenges sometimes actually, who do you listen to? Or where do, where do you decide to actually not put your allegiance, but what do you decide is your opinion if you've got loads of different conflicting bits of advice? But he had the minerals to actually ring me up and say, look, I got this wrong. Yeah. And I then had loads of different conversations with different people about age-based bias on mental health. And it's a massive thing. It is. Massive it thing. Is. It's, uh, and, but there's age bias on all sorts of topics. Yeah, there but is. De definitely, uh, I mean, I, I work, with people in various different ages, but I tend to work mostly with women 40 plus um, because that's a big, because it's all about uh, change management. That's what I deal yep. with, you know, lots of relationship mm. stuff, um, yep. lots of anxiety with um, just situational things. And, but I actually spoke to a, a 20 year old the other day um, or 22 year old who was really suffering because of the COVID situation. So it, it doesn't really matter what age it is, but they, they have different perspectives on what they should be doing. You know, it's a horrible yeah. sort of, you know, I should be doing this or I should be doing that. And um, which is very damaging in itself. But yeah, they have completely different ideas about the whole mental health thing. And I know my parents or grandparents they it was always that sort of stiff upper lip you know that sort of absolutely yeah british spirit just get on yep. with it and you know you know yep. pull, pull your trousers up and just get on with whatever life throws at you and you know and, and to many for many many years i did exactly the same yeah. until until i sort of stepped back and thought well you know all i'm doing is reacting to everything that's coming around me and i'm not actually taking charge i'm not doing anything to create the life i want so things are going to change and that's the key thing is and i mean we talk about it quite a lot but it, i think it's the recognition that just because a thought enters your head 
It's just the thought. Yeah. And I always get this wrong, but the the figure I know is 70,000, and I think it's 70,000 an hour thoughts you have. I think it's probably about a minute, but because... Is it? Yeah, well, I mean, whatever the number is, thoughts are constantly being thrown at us, but it's like Mm -hmm. when you go fishing, you know, if you think of the thoughts as fish in the river... Exactly. And you get one and you pull it out and, you know, if it's not the one you want, you put it back again. You throw it back, yeah. <laughs> yeah, throw it back. Let it, let it float yeah. on down the river or, or swim off or whatever. But, but I think also there is a tendency to, uh, when our feelings, obviously our feelings come from our thoughts because, you know, if you're watching a sad movie, you feel sad or a scary movie. So whatever our thought patterns are or our um our subconscious reactions are that's what gives us the feeling but the feeling isn't isn't it it feels real but we don't necessarily need to act on it yeah we can choose we can just acknowledge it and and let it you know float on by or we can you know react to it if if it's appropriate to do so and anxiety is you know i i think anxiety is like a little alarm clock it's almost like you know the reminders that you've got in your in your diary to sort of say, hey, you know, should you be doing that? Or remember, you've got this appointment or, you know, wasn't this on your list or those sorts of things. And when we see it in that way, we can then choose whether we act on it or not. But so many people live their lives through their feelings. Um, and I see that quite a lot in business, you know, where people you can tell the managers or the bosses that react depending on their mood of the day. You know, and and you just don't know where you stand with them because you're constantly thinking, do I bring this up today? Because what sort of mood are they in? Um, And they make some really bad decisions because of that. Yeah, absolutely. And do you know what? I'm I'm not going to lie. I've been that person. And I fight every day to not be that person. (laughs) It's a work in progress, I think. Yeah. You know, many times I've gone into, you know, a meeting or, or, you know, going into work and sort of, and I used to say to my kids, actually, I I used to say to them, because I was a single mum for a long time, um, and I'd say to them, I'm in a bad mood today, don't push it, I'm in a bad mood. And, you know, and they would sort of say, okay, mum, you know, and yeah. they'd, they'd be as good as they could for children. Um, yeah. They wouldn't push it. And sometimes, you know, I've, I've come, I've done it in work where I've snapped at somebody and then a bit later on I've gone, you know, and say, sorry, you know, yep. not in the greatest mood today, really sorry about that. So yeah. we all do it. We all do it. But there's a difference between sort of reacting sometimes because we're feeling overwhelmed or anxious or whatever, and, and mm. literally living our lives through our feelings. Yeah, there's a world of difference, I think. Yeah. And the one thing that I've found in probably in the last probably three or four years is kind of like more aware that the hormone balance in me is changing massively Mm. massively it's you know i mean i I think doing the research i did before i did the interviews about the menopause and the stuff that i sort of read about that you know there is there's a lot of people talk about the andropause the male menopause but it's real yeah well i i think there's there's a whole lot of you know we we go through different stages of life don't we and and our physical body changes as well as the hormones and all the, you know, chemicals that are flying around for lots of different reasons. Um, but having, you know, the, obviously I've gone through the menopause and I was lucky enough not to, to suffer too much. You know, I think I decided, it's almost like 
a bit of mind over matter. I had symptoms, yeah. so it wasn't. I but I decided that it wasn't. I wasn't going to allow it to, um, sort of run my life. Yeah, yeah. control it. Um, and I, I think the the mindset I had around it actually helped a lot because I, I kept mm. active and I, yeah. I changed my diet a little bit to help with it. Um, ha- having read a few things about you know the the right things and the and the bad things yeah. that that could exacerbate any symptoms. So I did change a few things and, and I was very aware of it. But I, I think a lot of these things, if, if you've got the right mindset, it's not to say that it won't affect you because I still had symptoms, but I, mm. I think mindset is a, a big thing. But Mindset's huge. Yeah. And I I don't think we we understand enough about these things, you know, that the whole sort of hormones and as much as we perhaps should do. Yeah. I don't think I don't think I don't think we understand enough about it. Um, I think there is a massive still there's a massive cultural issue around a lot of it. I mean, just this week in the UK, there's been. Um, I mean, I don't re- I don't buy a newspaper. I don't particularly go on BBC News, but I've got notifications on my lock screen, and there's been a load of articles this week about the reason GP surgeries are blocked up is because of menopausal moaners. Well. If we put all of this negativity around something, yeah. some people do need some help. So yes. the more we try, we we kind of put loads of negative connotations around this, it's going to make it hard for those people that do genuinely need some support. Now, mindset is massive, absolutely. And the more people work on their mindset, the, be- the bigger the benefits will be, which will yeah. be helpful. But there are people that will need some sort of medical support with that. And if we just keep... Play, playing out this negative narrative in the media yeah that is only going to do harm it's not ever yeah. going to lead to people wanting to get support no and i think you know the whole covid thing the the negative media around that about yeah everyone's going to be anxious everybody's going to be depressed and and you know that wasn't a case for a lot of people some yes you know the isolation wasn't good and it's not good for people but to to blanket everybody with the same rules. And if we constantly tell people they're going to be anxious or depressed, then they'll start to believe it. Of course they will. You know, um, and it's it's just frustrating when you look at it, when you know, when you work with mindset, when you work with the sort of psychology of the mind and you know, therapy and coaching like like we do, and you see this narrative going out there. And you think, well, you know, you, you're, it's like this sort of propaganda, propaganda. It's this social conditioning. You're telling everybody yeah. how they're supposed to feel. And, um, and there is an alternative. So, you know, it's quite a controversial subject, but you know, I've seen it. I've, I've seen people be drastically. And as you said earlier with your wife, it's the, it's the diet that we have. We talk a lot about diet as in food and drink, mm. but it's the diet. How much do you listen to all that doom and gloom news? How much do you, yep. how much time do you spend with people that drain your energy? Yep. You absolutely. It's, There's so much more to diet than just what food you eat or what yes. liquid you drink. Yeah. It's kind of a, I've just finished reading a really interesting book actually called Black Box Thinking by uh, Matthew Syed. And his first book, Rebel Ideas, is massively about diversity. And I started looking more into it probably probably about five or six years ago, but certainly massively three years ago, because I had a real big bout of imposter syndrome. Uh-huh. I got a random phone call from somebody asking me to sit on the operational board as a director of the Lord Mayor of London's Construction Training Academy. Okay. And I was like, one, how do you even know who I am? I'm like a little guy who runs a tiny, small building company. Why do you want my input? And it was kind of, 
I had a conversation with a couple of different people. Um, one was a coach, not that I work with, but it was a really good friend. And she was like, well, just ask him. So at the first meeting, I just said, look, I know we're on Zoom, but I feel like I've walked into the wrong room. Why have you asked me to, to join? Like, you know, that guy's got an OBE. He's an MP. He's a knight. What does Richard Stone add to this value? What value can I offer? And they said, well, because we know you're not afraid to speak your mind. We know how like what your career is. We know you've run companies and done different stuff, and we value your input. And we want a really diverse board. And then I, I started to, sort of looking into it a little bit more, and diversity is such a massive subject, and people don't understand it. People think it is just about having the right kind of spectrum of colour or race on your board. And it's not. It's about yeah. people with different diverse educational journeys, people with different family backgrounds, people with yeah. different geography, you know, that have lived lived in different countries. There's so much more to it that people just don't even, it's not even on people's radar. It's the stuff they don't know they don't know. No, people, I mean, with diversity, mainly people are just, ticking boxes aren't they you know have i have i got the as you say skin color or or you know perhaps a little bit of background or or um the right mix of male and female you know those sorts of things but yeah i mean i've i've lived in lots of different countries and you you see the different cultural impacts and when you I mean, I've worked, I I worked as a business troubleshooter for many years. So I would go in and help small businesses, you know, get their Mm. stuff sorted out with staff training and and policies and processes and finances and everything. And you would see these owners, uh, business owners that would just surround themselves with people who just agreed with them. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And and it was just like this, this sort of little, sucky up crew almost you know yeah. all these people or family said, that's the other yeah, one. Oh, yeah or family you know nobody wanted to upset the apple cart and yeah. nobody wanted to to question the boss because they just wanted to sort of keep their jobs and it is mm. so incredibly common and then you think well you know why have you got you need different personalities for different jobs yeah of course they do. you know and and so find those personalities i mean i i've I am working with somebody, a company at the moment. And when I started two or three years ago, I, you know, I said to the boss, I'm doing finance, business finance and, and um, structure and stuff with them. And and I said to he, he said, well, I just need you to do, do the job that you're employed for. I said, yeah, okay, unless I agree with you, if, unless I disagree with you and I will say so. Well, what do you mean? I said, well, if, if you're saying something that I don't agree with, I'm going to push back because that's who I am. Oh, yeah. said, so, but you, you just need to do what I say. I said, well, unless I think it's wrong and I'm going to comment, you know, yeah. don't employ me if you think, you know, you want, you want a yes man, because that's not who yeah. I am. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to make you think about it because that's what I do. And if you ultimately make the decision, that's fine because it's your company. But at the same time, I'm not going to let you do it blindly without considering all the implications. So yeah, it is funny. It is amusing. I must admit, I mean, I've done some, like, not so much troubleshooting, but more sort of pre- or post-acquisition, like, investigation and stuff. Yeah. And that's where my comment comes from about family businesses because the amount of them I've gone into and it's like they've got half the family employed in it and half of them have never worked anywhere else. So they've got no diversity of that process. They don't understand that what they're doing is like, well, in some cases, actually fraudulent, <laughs> yeah. but in other cases, not not necessarily sort of quite so extreme. But certainly, writing out a manual ledger when you've got like ten grand worth of sage sitting on ten computers and you're doing all your accounts in paper, petty cash books, that 
why would you do that? Well, because that's yeah. how we've always done it. Well, yeah, but you're paying for this software subscription. Well, yeah, but we don't know how to use it. <laughs> but, and another company where they've got free quantities of those, but none of the board know what a QST is. Yeah. Like, seriously? But you see it all the time, and it's about actually having the confidence in your ability and being forthright enough to put your point of view across without fear that actually you'll get, you know, I don't, I don't mind being challenged because I know what I'm saying is, is right. And actually that's kind of what, what it needs to be. Mm. But it's when people, when people either don't listen, which is remarkably frustrating or push back and they don't know they're not qualified to have an opinion because they haven't got any experience in the thing that you're telling them how to do that I do find a little bit challenging at times I must confess because it's like you've asked me to come in and help you I've given you a, a strategy for sorting this out and a process for how to get there but you don't want to do it <laughs> what part of it is the problem and actually it comes back to the problem is the person yeah and it's it's that mindset and you know the the, the saying that you've got to change something if you want something to change. Yeah. If you keep doing the same old stuff over and over again, then you're going to get the same result. So it's, it is about that whole change, the idea of change, because we're so used to familiarity. We don't really want to step outside the comfort zone. We want, or what I find is I, I get clients coming to me and I'll say, okay, the magic wand question, you know, so if I could wave my magic wand and change something for you, what would it be? Um, and obviously they tell me what it is they want to do, overcome anxiety or, or whatever. And I say, yeah, but are you willing to do the work? You know, it's, and I think when I talk about the magic wand question, I think they re some of them really think that I've got this magic wand that I just wave, um, and they, and do the sort of the whole sort of fairy godmother thing is yep. like, there you go off to the ball. It's all fixed. Know, yeah, it's all fixed. And it doesn't, yeah. doesn't, work, it doesn't quite work like that. No, no, no. Because whether you're a coach or a mentor or a trainer or whatever, you know, therapist, whatever you call yourself, it's about facilitating someone to do the change work themselves. Yeah. It's got to come from within. Yeah, you absolutely. Can, you, can, you can show someone what they need to do. You can tell them how they need to do it. You can tell them why they need to do it, but. Mm. It's got to come from within. And, you know, I mean, I turned someone down for coaching this week and my wife was like, yeah, but it was £24,000 for a year. I'm like, yeah, but he's not going to do the work. No. But what's the point? It's not going to, you know, I don't want somebody that, you know, okay, yeah, it's, it's a nice fee, but at the end of the day, he's not going to do the work. So he's not going to get the value. So then there's going to be a problem. Let's just yeah. not do it. No, because we want to succeed as we want our clients to succeed. You know, we're, yeah, absolutely. We're, what we're as, as coaches, we we want to help people get to where they want to be. Um, and it is really frustrating when you have somebody who who doesn't do the work, as you say. Mm. You know, they just want to they just want you to wave that magic wand, and they sort of walk out of your your either your Zoom call or your office and say, "Oh, okay, I'm I'm all fixed yeah. now." You yeah, know, um, <laughs> they need a bit of a reality check sometimes. I think but actually yeah. that's not how the world works. No, but those people who do put the work in, you know, see see incredible change, and it is it is fabulous when we do see that. It's it is it's amazing. And it's it's so rewarding. That's why I love doing it because yeah. you know, do I enjoy working on people's buildings? Not anymore. I love working with. I don't. It's not. I don't enjoy it. I love working with people more. That's yes. the thing. It's and that's so much more rewarding. Seeing yeah. people actually go on and then achieve stuff that 
you know, sometimes they knew that they were capable of, but quite often they just they didn't even know that that was that potential existed within them, and that's why I'm doing more of that sort of stuff and sort of moving from just doing that into actually training and and yeah. the education area as well. It sounds fabulous. So it's been amazing chatting to you today. Um, what I want to ask you now is if you could give listeners three bits of advice three things that have changed your life or you think may change theirs, what would they be? What would they be? Okay. What would they have three Cool. That's proper. Put me on the spot. So <laughs> the first, okay. So the first one is get out of your own way. Most mm -hmm. people fail to achieve their potential because they're stuck in their own way. And that's the biggest problem. Yeah. The second one is listen to the stories that you tell yourself. Oh, and yeah. Are they are they actually serving you? And then the, the next one I would say is have a plan. Yes. Yeah. Actually think about where do I want to go? What do I want my life to look like? And, you know, some people do that because they've got certain things that they want to tick off. Other people do it that they want to have certain people stand at their funeral. Other people do his plan is that this is what I want to achieve. And it, it might be that, they want a, a personal best in a sport. They might want an MBE or a knighthood. Or, but have a plan. Actually have something that you're working to because that's when you're going to achieve it. If it's written down and it's actually a proper sensible plan, otherwise it's just it's just a wish and you're just never, ever going to get there. So no, absolutely. They would be and one of the things with that, when you have a plan, whenever you come to a decision point where you have to make a choice or a decision or even on a, ba a daily basis, you can ask yourself, okay, if I do this, is it working towards where I want to be? Absolutely. Or is it taking Does it me away? Fit with my yeah. And it just it just it's so much easier when you're you're there and feeling perhaps overwhelmed because there's lots of options that you could spend your day doing. You can sort of say, okay, what do I need to do to move closer towards who I want to be or where I want to be? Absolutely. Yeah. And the last thing that I would say is the importance of the statement that skill set without mindset equals upset. Oh, that's fabulous. I haven't heard that, but I agree with it. It's all about mindset. If you've got the right mindset, you can achieve pretty much exactly what you want. Yeah. But if what you want and you've got the skills, but your mindset's not right, you won't achieve it. So. Yeah. I used to, I, I've employed hundreds of people over the years, and that was always the one thing when I would do interviews, I would look at, the, the attitude of the person mm. coming in. So you can teach skills, you can teach them to yeah. do various things if they've got the right mindset, or we called it attitude back then, but mindset yeah. nowadays, where they just were keen to learn, keen yeah, to absolutely. soak up all the information, then they are much better employees and much better colleagues as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree with you on that point. Yeah, to be honest, I mean, I, I will if we're recruiting, I will have a cursory glance over someone's CV, but I'd rather just get on a call with them and have a chat because if their attitude's right and their values are aligned to what ours are, then I'll give anyone a chance because we can teach them. But you can't teach someone whose attitude's wrong or their values don't align with your own. So. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So cool. Well, Richard, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Yeah, it's been great talking I to you. Wish you well in all your business yes. activities. And, uh, I hope you survive the heat. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Okay, bye for now. Thank you.